You are listening to The Real Men Feel Show with Andy Grant. Real Men Feel encourages men to allow and express all of their emotions. Despite what you may have been taught, all emotions do serve you. Real Men Feel is committed to engaging in discussions that most men aren't having. All links mentioned in each episode are in the show notes found on the blog at realmenfeel.org. Now, let's get into this week's show. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Real Men Feel. This is your host, Andy Grant. Ah, I One of my favorite things about this show is the wide variety of men around the world I get to meet who are willing to share their stories, um, sometimes very painful stories. But more important is what they've done with that and, and putting kind of their own experience into service to not just men, but to the world indeed. And that really feels true for my guest today. Uh, today, I'm talking with real estate developer and author, Alan Clonette, who is passionate about helping men to help women to thrive in business and life. Welcome to the show, Alan. Thank you very much for having me. It's really good to talk to you today. And, um, you know, th- this began, we had a brief conversation be- before the show, and y- you had mentioned uh, that there was a time that you were, you were ashamed of being a man. So I wonder if you could talk about like what, what led up to that? What was that about for you? Yes, that's, um, I'm, I'm trying to recall the exact moment. There probably wasn't a given mo- moment. It's built over time. But I remember as um, a kid being absolutely amazed at my mother and how strong she was. And at that, so what she did was uh, she would teach uh, up until the age of um, 75 in schools. In, I was brought up in London, as you might tell from my accent. Uh, there were schools in a place called Notting Hill, uh, which is famous for the Notting Hill riots. And basically, they were race riots. And my mother, at the age of, I think it was 68, chose to go and uh, teach in that school. And she'd retired for a while to bring up, you know, reprobates like me. So uh, she went to teach there, and um, about three days into it, um, one of the uh, girls in the school broke a chair over the principal's head. So that was the type of environment my mother was in. And I remember worrying about it, trying to talk her out of it, but she wouldn't. She was also in the Blitz in London and was involved in um, bringing scared people out of the streets when the bombs were falling and bringing them into uh, the underground stations, which were the air raid shelters then. And so I, I remember that. And as my life went on, I, I realized that, um, you know, men, men do their part, but they don't do more than their part. Um, and my mother's a good example of someone who was, you know, really doing more than most people would ever do. Um, and just driving herself to do that. The other um, example was my grandmother, who was a factory inspector in Glasgow in Scotland. And uh, she was responsible for bringing in uh, what they call the poor laws, which was basically to avoid child labor in, uh, in uh, factories, to avoid pregnant women working to term, and making sure that uh, women in particular and children had enough nutrition to be able to help them through the day's work. So you, you asked a simple question. So over my life, I, I started to realize that men really needed to do their part to even up the balance. Uh, we're 49% of the world's population, 51% are women. And my sense was that men didn't full, pull 49% of their share. 
<laughs> so last but no, not least, I went to a conference recently, um, which was hosted by um, uh, the author of Eat, Love, Pray, Elizabeth Gilbert, and the author of um, Wild, which was Cheryl Strait. And it was a it was a conference which had 600 women and five men. Obviously, I was one of the men, and it was a writers' conference uh, based on learning to write memoir. And I'm a writer myself, uh, so that's why I was there. But I hadn't realised I was going to be outnumbered by that greater number. And so during the course of four days, being memoir, the women told extraordinary stories. But they weren't extraordinary, they were just their regular lives. And without looking for sympathy, they were sharing with each other what they'd actually been through as a woman. And it wasn't all the Me Too sort of thing, uh, but there was a lot of that, far more than I would ever have imagined, cross-section of bright women. Um, and so at some point, um, I, we were asked to ask questions of Cheryl and Elizabeth. I stood up and I looked around the room and I said, uh, honestly, many times I'm ashamed of being a man. And I listened to these stories and the perpetrators of the discomfort that you all, you bright, smart, funny uh, women, um, the perpetrators of the mischief and more than mischief have been men. And I said, I recognize that it's not me, but I also recognize that um, there needs to be a redress. And I'm ashamed of the men that are part of the legacy that's built up to what you've had to endure. And what's interesting at that point, I got um, a standing ovation and I had um, Cheryl Strayed uh, tearing up and, and um, holding her heart like that. And she endeavored to make me feel better. And she said, uh, I'm really sorry to hear that because uh, yes, we have issues as women, but men have issues too. And we need you as allies. Uh, and we need, I need you to know that, and she used an example. She said, if a, if a woman is working and bring, we're bringing up kids as a family, um, and the woman says, you know, I really would like to take three or four years off to write a thesis or whatever it might be, that's fairly normal. But when a man does that, she said, and this is Cheryl Strayed talking, um, there's pretty much a mutiny within the family because it's not acceptable. And it's often the man feeling it's not acceptable. So I'm not here at all looking for sympathy for men, but it made me, the context was, I was ashamed to be a man at that moment. And um, I was being made to feel better because I, 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 I learned that we do do our part. So until that point, you, you hadn't met any man doing more than what you thought was his what was enough more than his fair share? I, I couldn't say that. I think it, it depends uh, what endeavor we're talking about. So the old adage is that it's historically men who go to war and put themselves in harm's way, which I've never done. I'm a privileged white male that's never had to go into harm's way. But that was a conventional wisdom, um, and that's what happened. Um, also, the the um, you know the 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 founder of many movements that have helped change the world have actually been men. Uh, let's talk about um, racial equality. Um, you know, the, the, there are many more. So, no, I wouldn't say that. Okay. 
Cool. So again, it, it sounds like beginning in childhood, you had these really strong overachieving um, examples of, of femininity of, of these very strong, capable women. So was there, was your dad or grandfather, was there a male in, in the picture that was showing you something else as well or not? Not really. And with great respect to my father who passed away in 1979, um, he did not, uh, he wasn't forceful. So it wasn't until I got older. And so that it wasn't really an example that I realized how brave he'd been in the second world war. He'd been in a tank, um, in the desert, um, facing Rommel's eighth army, which was a famous battle in the war and literally trying to save the world from evil. Um, but I didn't know that as a kid growing up. I, I didn't know that. Um, and also he was um, uh, in charge of a lot of the church's property, which um, they're the second largest landowner in England. And his passion was to go to farm farmers who'd been farming the same land that was owned by the church for often handed down for 500 years. And what he would do is convince the church to allow him to go to them and hand over the title deed to their property with no questions asked. So that was his chosen, um, chosen goal. But I wasn't aware of that when I was growing up, you know, you just, it's, it was just my dad, you know. And th- th- so these are just things he just didn't share. Didn't, didn't let you know what he was up to. Well, it's true. And it gets to the heart of something to, to do with being, being, being a man, um, where he, he wasn't boastful. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not saying that women are boastful and men aren't. That's not it. But I think there's a, there's a code of honor that you don't, especially with war, you don't tell people how brave you were in the war or how you're just the, you know, the, the best guy in the world because you, you know, you, you help, help farmers. I think that's, and, that, and that's not a gender thing, um, but it, it is a male thing to keep it inside, I think. Yeah. And is that, I've I've only lived in the United States, but is, I, I'm I'm you know the whole notion of the the stiff upper lip and the the you know the, my perception of 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 people in the UK men in the UK should say uh, they keep it even they play it close to the vest they they aren't sharing often to people uh, so is does that ring true? I think it does definitely ring true. Um, and honestly, when I think about it, um, I, I'm being careful not to try and draw you know. Uh, uh, sort of an advantage for men because they hold in th- things inside and women don't. That's not true. My mother never boasted about what she did. It was the opposite. She was very humble. And uh, I only heard her stories um, by prying and living living with her working. So, I mean, this is a hypothetical, so I don't know if you can imagine it perhaps, but if if your dad had shared more, might you not have been ashamed of being a man? That's actually a very intelligent observation, as I would have expect, <laughs> expected. But uh, that's that's actually um, a good point, and the answer is yes. Mm. Um, and, the answer is yes. And kind of was masculinity ever something you discussed with your father, kind of later in life? No, no, never, never okay. did. No, and he he died when I was young. I was twenty, so we didn't get oh. to that point in our father-son bond. So. Right. Hmm. You know, you, you mentioned that um, Cheryl said she felt 
you know, sad to hear you say that. And, and I've got to say, I, I do too, to, to say that you're, you're ashamed of being a man. And I can certainly have experiences of being ashamed of, of individuals, being ashamed perhaps even of some of my friends and the things they've done. But I, I never, yeah, I never broadened it to uh, the entire gender. And I, I wonder when, was, the, was even that as a young age, you just, it, it's kind of, or did you see yourself as different from other men? And was that the, the setup? It's, it, it's hard to, um, it, it's really hard to remember from my childhood um, whether that was true or not. So, I, you know, I, and I, like I said, I don't think there was one moment. Um, and I actually don't think it's a, good, um, it's a good way to lead as a man trying to help men understand how they could possibly help women in the world, which is my passion, to lead with, you know, I'm ashamed of being a man because... Yeah. Um, I think it's important to lead with something of strength. If you're going to be a champion for women, you know, uh, in general, particularly in the in in the workplace. Well, so um, so great. Let let let's flip it right now. Um, so instead of hi, I'm ashamed of being a man. <laughs> tell me how you would how would you introduce yourself and kind of of and own and express your passion. What I would say is that um, let's take my industry. I work for a company called. Colliers International, we're in 67 countries, um, and I'm the poster child, not for Colliers, but of, of, the, um, of the type of uh, gender mix. So I'm a 65-year-old white male. I've been incredibly privileged. I'm not of color. And um, if you look across our industry, not just Colliers, um, I think about, um, if I got the figure right, it's about 14% of the leaders um, and the leading um, uh, advisors, brokers um, are women and the balance are, are men. And so um, because of the examples, I think I've looked for the reasons that my uh, mother, grandmother set and other extraordinary women that I've followed, Cherie Blair, Dame Stephanie Shirley, these are people I could, I could talk about, there's extraordinary figures. Um, because of the examples they set, um, I would really like to help redress the balance. Um, it makes no sense that you know, uh, what is it, 5.2% um, of uh, CEOs are women in the U.S. and 14.5% uh, are, are members of boards. No sense. And the other thing from a, from a pure business point of view, um, which isn't how I've been looking at this, uh, not looking for credit, but that's a secondary thing. If you, if you look at companies that are um, where the women are the primary drivers, either as presidents, founders, CEOs, um, and you look at the listed companies that, that match that um, match that profile. Um, literally, the returns to the shareholders for the women-driven companies are over twenty percent, and on the male-driven companies, they're in the often in the low teens, average low teens. Yeah. Why? Can't explain. But um, if you were a, a CEO looking to, you know, change how your company profits, that would be one way to do it. In my industry, um, truly, we're a commission-driven industry. So the people that work for me are basically commission-based brokers. So actually, that's the ultimate in equal pay for equal work. And um, because there's no salary, it's pure. Right. You know, you are you generate what you you know what you um, what you generate. That's how you how you make a living. Um, so in my industry, about um, seven percent of the brokers in the industry. The, the um, 
revenue generators are female, and um, the uh, the balance are men. And if you look at our industry, and I'm now in San Francisco, um, at least 40% and maybe more, because I, I did a tally of the top brokers in San Francisco, and I could name the names, but they might not mean a lot to your, um, you know, to your, to your watchers, or listeners, um, are women. Um, and they get to the very top. Why? I, I think, you know, we, we all admire women. Um, and I could, it would be sexist actually on the other side for me to sit here and tell you why women are more successful at this business than men are. But I, I know the reasons, <laughs> I think. <laughs> If the if the data shows that the few women involved in business at high levels of business are, um, let's say, more productive, but they're, they're, there's greater revenue, that shows a business difference. And so, is is it just our traditional sense of gender roles that has is just that over time it's been kind of stacked against women and they have to, they have to work harder to to break into those roles, or is it? Is there more of a man versus woman story that that's happening and we don't really understand it or realize it? So I don't think it's intentional. I think it's custom and history. And I think so many of these, these issues may be perceived to be um, male driven, but I think it's, um, it's just convention over history, which we're working on changing. But the story is that um, typically commercial real estate brokerage has involved um, the country club. Um, and when it's men who had the money, men who owned the properties, men who um, made all the decisions, and, and they're your clients, then traditionally, it's a bit like advertising. Um, you've seen Mad Men with Don Draper. It's, it's typically, over the years, it's been golf, cocktails, and so on. No reason why women can't do that. I mean, you've watched the PGA, the Women's PGA Tour, wow. Um, but I don't mean to be glib, it's important. Um, so that's the tradition. And the old saying that women will often produce is, you know, women have to be brave and tough, much tougher than the equivalent man to make it in this industry um, because they're not part of that culture. Mm. That's changing over time, um, but that's how it's been. But I think in the past, if you were the kind of person who plowed through all that as a woman, burst the ceiling and got through, you're definitely some person who's going to get it to the very top. And um, hopefully we can change that so it's not so hard to get to that point. And it, it is changing, I think. And, and yeah, is, is there a role for men to, to better create gender equality in the workplace? Or is it just up to the women to you know, try harder and break through? And it, you know, or, you know, is, again, does it, is it still kind of adversarial or is there a way to come together? There's definitely a way to come together. I mean, that's the really good news. Um, and I've found helping myself, doing it myself, um, that as I sit down with the men in my realm uh, in this company and uh, uh, so forth, um, they're really willing, really interested in doing it. And the first thing um, you, you want to do is hire more women. It's that simple. And so if you've got two equal candidates, um, and I'm not even sure if it's legal to talk about this, but I do, um, because it makes sense. Um, hire the woman if they're equal, hire the woman, you know, you can do that. Um, don't hire somebody just because they're a man or because they're a woman, but if you have an equal opportunity, hire the woman. And the other piece of it is, um, men are not deliberately, um, 
not advancing women. I really believe that. And I wish more people would understand that, particularly women, because I think there's a sense that that's the case. So I think there are five or six reasons why men don't get involved in helping redress the balance. One of them is, we're the problem. Back to being ashamed. We're the problem. How how can we be part of the solution? I mean, look at it. And Me Too tends to flow over, unfortunately, and actually wrongly into trying to champion women in the workplace. It shouldn't be that way, but it is. So that, I think that's one of the reasons why men feel less than um, and getting involved in women's issues. Um, so, you know, that's part of it. I think the other part of it is not just how do we do it, but are we going to sound patronizing? You know, yeah, we, we can help, you know. Um, sorry we've put you in this situation, but they're there, let us help. No, you know, get over that, right? And then don't be patronizing. Ask a woman if she would like you to get involved and how to do it. That's the way to get involved. So part of why I'm sitting here is because I've spent a lot of time talking to my female peers and colleagues and friends about how we can help. Um, the th third piece of it is I think men feel like, you know, if you stand up as a man and say, hey, you know, look at me, I'm, I'm championing women, that it's kind of, embarrassing you know i think your male counterparts particularly going to say boy he's showing off so I, i'm not being glib this is these are the i try to think of the reasons why people like me actually don't get involved um next is is there a, are you just trying to fill a quota is this a reaction to me too or some legislation because if you're trying to fill a quota you, you're not doing it with your heart you know you're trying to do it with your head and your checkbook now i think the the final piece might be is are you checking a diversity box that your company's produced? And there's a wonderful book called Diversity Inc. And um, I'm trying to remember the name of the author. Uh, let me just—I actually happen to have a copy here. Hang on a sec. And I don't get—I uh, don't get royalties, but um, <laughs> that's the book. And it's um, Pamela Newkirk. And it's really worth reading because um, it talks about the failed. The subtitle is the um, the failed promise of a billion-dollar business. And its real message is companies put together this diversity program with the different um, segments and we got to, you know, we need to fill the, the, the racial minority, we need to fill the female, we need to fill the, um, you know, GBLTQ. Um, and what she's saying is, look, do it with your head, do it with your heart. Um, and her, her um, premise is that it's failed because people were doing it because they were sort of had to. Mm. And if you do it because you really want to and you, you're thinking with your heart, it makes all the difference. Cool. You know, one thing you said struck me, the, this notion that Me Too is kind of inadvertently connected to the workplace. Um, so can you tell me more what you mean by that? Well, yes. So if you're interested in building a workforce because you believe in promoting women championing women um, and giving them an absolute equal opportunity to shine. How does that relate to sexual harassment? It does seem to me they're two different topics. And this is something that um, you'll very rarely hear a man talk about because it's, um, it's marshy ground. But my concern isn't for myself at all. Um, it's really for the idea that the more men, male leaders become concerned that there might be um, um, a sexual harassment issue in an office, I think 
and I, I'm not sure this happens, but it's possible that the less likely they would be to try and have more women in the workplace. Because as we all know, men are the, hate to say it, but men are almost always the perpetrators. So, you know, it just, it adds um, a concern, at least to my mind, in how do we make sure that it's, it's a really good place for women to work. It's important. I'm not, I'm not denying that, but yeah. it's, I mean, a, it's a different topic. Well, for, for uh, just it would it just feels like common sense to me that if if uh, if if there's really a male executive that thinks, well, I'd love to hire more women, but I'm afraid of all sorts of Me Too backlash and sexual harassment happening. Well, don't sexually harass anyone, right? It's not an it's not because women more women showing up means sexual harassment must increase. Right? No, exactly. And I would expect a really heated response to saying that. And it's, it's a, it's, if you're the leader, then you should be able, you're on a bound to set a tone where there is nobody working there that could possibly perpetrate th those things. So I didn't want to get off topic, but I, I just want to make the point that I think they, they really should be two separate issues. Hmm. Um, and that's, that's the kind of the point I'm trying to make. Forget yeah. that. Do the right thing. Right. Yeah. Great. Okay. Good. Uh, that, yeah. Totally agree with you there. Um, but yeah, it just seems to me it seems almost impossible to separate them because so many, so much sexual harassment is in the workplace. So to, I don't know. To, I, yeah. It's it's very challenging to differentiate it um, and separate it somehow. But again, I think the easiest thing is, hey, let's not harass women. <laughs> well, yeah. No. It, it, Exactly. And I have to say, being at the conference with uh, Cheryl Strait and Elizabeth Gilbert and listening to 600 women's stories that were going into their memoirs, I was absolutely stunned. I, I mean, honestly, I think the men have absolutely no idea what it's like to be a woman. woman. I don't. Yeah. And getting a window into that world, back to the harassment issue, I think a lot of men believe that, hmm, you know, okay, but maybe it's overblown, maybe... You know, it's 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 not that common because it's stunningly common. I mean, it's I mean, I, I'm not sure that you could have talked to anybody among that 600 women who hadn't had some kind of an issue at some point. Yeah. Which is back to being ashamed of being a man. I mean, what? You know, really? Yeah. No, and it, and it, and it isn't just you. I've I've I haven't heard from someone directly. I've heard other men say that they've heard other men say. They don't want to hire more women because they're afraid of this sort of thing happening and and lawsuits and stuff. And it just yeah, it just astounds boggles me that your, that's boggles your mind. Yeah, and actually, yeah. I hope I hope it's coming across that that's how I look at it. it yeah. um, I'm believe me, I'm no saint. I'm not looking for credit, but I, I it wouldn't even cross my mind. It just isn't not even in, not even remotely. I mean, you, you just need to behave yourself and you need to set a tone as a leader. So. Yeah, yeah, but I yeah yeah it's. Uh... Yeah, I don't think I've ever worked in a culture that was like, uh, you know, uh, there was a leader leading by example of really har harassing women. But, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's kind of, to call them microaggressions done by everyone that does, guys don't realize it. And, right. you know, times do change and how we speak do, uh, does change. And yeah, but, but again, without, without people being willing to openly discuss it, it, it can't change true yeah oh. i mean uh, i don't want to get off, off topic this is this is about championing uh women in the world and the workplace which is my passion but i do have um, a family member i better not um call her out by name or which part of my family she's in she's very close to me and um she um is in the film industry in la and 
I could tell you stories that would make, you know, make anybody cringe. Yeah. And so, again, if, you, if you're exposed to it and you hear stories and know the film industry, but my gosh, you know, unbelievable. So I think back to what we were just saying, uh, mm. you have to set that tone. Um, and it's been a, a big part of, I think, men feeling cringy. Mm. You know, you hear some of the stories in the news over the last few years and you, you just, it's really hard to cont- contemplate. So. Yeah, yeah, it is. So, all right, so let's put that aside. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll pretend that sexual harassment is not an issue. Let's put it somewhere else. So it's a different issue. Um, so what, what, how can, or, or how do you help men support women in the workplace? So that's, that's the right question. Cause that's what I'm uh, really hoping I'm helping with. It's, it's basically fairly simple. Um, and it's taking the time to sit down in a, usually in a casual situation without coming across as, you know, um, preachy or, you know, agenda ridden, um, and suggest for example, suggest to them ways they could help, particularly in really considering the makeup of their team. Most of the people that work with me have two or three team members and they work together. And quite often it's all male, uh, and all white male. Um, and so suggesting to them that perhaps, um, a different blend um, would be a good thing. Then the question is why? And then here's back to why maybe it looks a bit cynical or business-based, but your clients, you know, are very often women, female decision makers, et cetera, et cetera. And it doesn't make a lot of sense to present yourself with a group of, you know, white males. Mm. Now you could say, well, that's really cynical. Do it because it's the right reason. But if I'm trying to persuade men to actually make a change, that has to be one of the angles, I think, one of the avenues. Um, Then the other piece of it is to lead by example. You know, we've hired a lot of of women here um, over the past five years. Believe me, I'm not, again, not looking for credit. Um, But we've won an award the last three years, uh, the Break the Ceiling Award, um, the Inspirator Award, and the Male Award. And they're all for, for... doing the most to champion women in real estate in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area. Um, and that actually in itself helps attract more women to this office because they realize it's, 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 it's a, it's a attractive place to be. Right. And so I you, think men can do that by, by actually going out and hiring more women. It's fairly simple. So is, is that all it means to, to champion women in the workplace? It just means hire more or is there something else to it? I think there's more to it. This actually is part of it um, because I think the more people that um, hear and read articles by, there are thousands of men that do a much better job than I do at um, trying to do this. But, but I think listening to this type of thing and watching men really trying to make a difference. I mean, joining organizations like Mark, Male Advocates for Real Change, um, and joining, um, uh, joining um, Cherie Blair's Foundation for Women, um, where they mentor women in third world countries and help them come from being um, poverty stricken and help them start real businesses where they they make um, a living. And because in third world countries, if you give a dollar to a man, um, 92% of it does not go into the community. And if you give a dollar to a woman, 78% of it goes into the community. Mm. Um, and, you know, I, I love the statistic because people, people can relate to that. Right. And her mentorship program, she, she, if Cherie Blair, um, I was in a rock band with Tony Blair when I was younger. <laughs> and um, 
my kids always say, just knowing somebody famous doesn't make you famous. But I got to know <laughs> Cherie through that. And she's, as most people know, much more than the wife of the ex-Prime Minister of England. She's a brilliant lawyer. And she founded the Cherie Blair Foundation uh, for um, Women. Uh, is, that's basically what it's called. And um, what, what happens is you, you get men and women from around your company, if you can. And they pay $1,000 each, which goes straight to Cherie's foundation. And what they do is they one-on-one -on -one mentor a woman typically in a third world country. They don't have to be in the same business. It's basically it's like Dragon's Den, learning or a VC, learning the business they're trying to create and helping them. So, it's a, it's, so joining those kinds of organizations and putting muscle behind it, um, I think, is one of the many ways to do it. Mm. And then speaking, I mean, when you run a conference, as I've done a few times, um, make sure your most of your speakers are women um, in the industry. Make sure your interviewer is a woman, if you can. Um, and that way it, it just showcases, you know, the, the brilliance of the women that, that, that are in the world that we're not, not often exposed to. Again, that's what a male, a male can do. And you mentioned Mark, and that's not an organization I, I'm familiar with at all. Can you tell me a little bit more about them? Um, yeah, they, it's an organization. It's part of a larger organization. Um, sorry, I'm blanking on the name. It's famous. Uh, hang on just a second. Let me just check. Can I check my notes? Sure. Thank you. I'm glad it's tough to find out. That makes me feel better about not having heard of them. <laughs> well, it's a subsidiary or a, um, a division of a much larger organization. Gotcha. Yeah, it's called Catalyst. So it's an organization called Catalyst, and Collie is my company. is a is a proud uh, member and sponsor of Catalyst, and they're one of the largest and best organizations for sponsoring diversity of all kinds in the workplace. Hmm. And their division, Male Advocates for Real Change, is um, it's geared towards men jumping in and um, and helping, and and it's a male support group in in that world where yeah. you're helping each other do it. You know. And is it the the entire business world or real estate specifically, or how, how is that? What's their That's scope? That's the entire business world, yeah. Oh. Oh. And, and, you know, nonprofits, uh, you know, it's, it's just, just the community of, um, of humans, really. <laughs> cool. Yeah. That's great. Yes. If, if we could all just realize we're part of the community of humans, that would uh, alleviate a lot of this, I think. <laughs> right. And it, it connects you to people like um, uh, Michael Kaufman, who has written a book, uh, it's basically um, about why men need to be involved in the gender equation. And his point, back to men being involved in this movement, is if, if you're a woman and you've got a man in your organization who's helping, um, say thank you or affirm that they're doing the right thing because it often feels like you're a fish, fish out of water, you know, a spectator in a game you really don't understand. You're in a room with 600 women often at these conferences. What are you doing here? And if somebody comes up to you, as I've been lucky enough, they have done at some of these conferences, and said, Alan, you're making a difference. That makes so much. I mean, everybody likes to be thanked, right? And, um, yeah. So. yeah. Not just and, me. That's a, yeah. And, and I've been at lots of different personal growth, spiritual growth events where it's mostly women and just a few men. Yeah. And, and in my experience, they're just, you know, they're – think you're like incredibly brave and courageous and they're all applaud you just for walking in the door often right <laughs> well you know it's so ironic you say that because um here there's a there's a big organization called crew which is commercial real estate women um 
and that it is what it sounds like, right? So um, the it's it, it's it's so I've been to my end. This is another thing a man can actually do in our business. I've been to my different uh, male colleagues and said, "You should join Crew." They go, "It's an all women's organization, right?" So I've had several of my colleagues now join Crew. Um, and what happened was there's a big bus tour down to San Jose with my um, male colleagues who joined crew. And they're in this bus, and then we're in a huge room full of women. I said, God, this feels so weird. I mean, God, this, we, shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't be there. We're kind of out of place. And we say, well, how do you think women have felt all these years in this business, right? <laughs> Anyway, and, so and and I bet you know if if there's an event with six hundred six hundred men and five women, you know I I fear that their predominant experience is a lot of people hitting on them, not going oh we're so proud that you're here right. You know what? Yeah, I almost wish you hadn't said that, but uh, sadly <laughs> that that is true. And back to being ashamed of being a man. I mean, <laughs> you and I are not one of them, but if that's the feeling that it might happen then clearly many many women have had that experience so yeah yeah and you know you've certainly touched on this in the beginning but i i do want to ask it you know very directly but why is the notion of men supporting women so important to you it, it it's so hard to articulate i've i've pinned it on you know actually now three family members that I've I've talked about. Um, and that's part of it. I just think we all have something in us where we have a passion and it's like a lighthouse looking for something you're really interested in. And then you, the lighthouse shines on it. And I think in this case, um, I just, just at some point it was always in me. And then I suddenly thought, you know, I can help. I think part of it's being in a leadership position. Part of it is I really enjoy women. I mean, the conversations you have. Part of it is learning that my mother used to say, this is a big piece of it, actually, because I talk a lot, as you can tell. And this is unilateral. You you can talk back, but I'm pretty much the talker here. My mother used to say, Alan, you have two ears and one mouth, and there is a reason for that ratio. And so over time, I've actually learned not only do I talk too much, but actually a lot of men in a situation like a conference room do most of the talking. And um, I think uh, once I spent time, you know, it's sort of chicken in the egg. Once I spent time working with, with women that I brought onto the organization, sitting in conference rooms, and this is, again, it's sexist and it's stereotyping, but it's true, I have to say it, that they, typically the men were doing most of the talking and early on they'd solve, you know, whatever the problem they'd solve, here's, here's a good answer, right? And look around to see if everybody else thought it was. And this is, I'm exaggerating for effect. This isn't a typical meeting, maybe. Um, and at the end, typically, the, the women in the room who'd been quiet, believe me, this is not a criticism of the women in the room, would have been listening and thinking and absorbing. And then um, they would often suggest, you know, often fairly gently, often not, um, have you thought about this as being a solution? And typically, you know, it's, a light goes off in the room. Um, and again, I'm exaggerating for effect, but that's that's often the experience. And my mother always used to say, you, you cannot learn anything by talking, um, which is, you know, another part of this. And it's, you know, it's how if you're in front of a client trying to solve their business needs, instead of coming in, and we're a sales organization, instead of coming in and saying, here's how clever we are and here's what we're going to do for you, 
have you asked them what they'd like? And before mm. you know it, you know, you're, you're talking to their, their hearts. Their, yeah. Cool. Does that make any sense? Yeah, no. And yeah. so in an ideal balanced workplace, are men and women doing different things, operating different ways, or is it supposed to be that you, you, can't, you, you can't even tell if this is a man or a woman speaking or leading this meeting or anything like that? Does that make sense? It does, and it's true. You can't even tell. You can't even tell. Um, it, it's interesting because it, I couldn't put, put my finger on why the atmosphere in this office is so much better with the more women we have in positions of, you know, power and, and leadership. Um, but it is, and it occurred to me, it's much more like the real world. You know, mm. I mean, we're all comfortable in the real world, sort of, we're comfortable at home with our family, you know, and, and, you know, our brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers. So an office is just like that. And as you know, I mean, we're not the same. The two sexes are different. So there's always a creative tension, um, a healthy creative tension, which you need in a in any kind of organisation. It'd be really boring if we all thought and you know did exactly in exactly the same way. You know, the conversations are different. Right. Do you have a, a goal, a, a vision of what you would like to see other companies look like? Yes, uh, I'd like to see other companies have women in significant positions in leadership, thought leadership too, um, and to have um, a genuine desire amongst the entire company. So male advocates in every, if you've got offices all over a country, at least one male advocate in each office trying to shift this change. Um, an ambassador for change, for example. So if I could have, let's say it's a company with um, 60 offices, male in each office, you know, being the leader of that kind of change, and then the, the women being brought into positions of leadership. And then, you know, over time, the, the individual offices or operations being run by women. You know, I'd like a succession plan. That's my dream, is a succession plan where the next person sitting in this chair is a, is a woman. Um, you know, I feel like I've hogged a chair for too long. <laughs> and my ancestors. <laughs> I really do. I mean, I'm sure... You know what I mean. It's uh, it's an interesting feeling. And just hypothetically, I'm like, and is is it is kind of the goal that that every business is fifty percent men, fifty percent women, or or not paying attention to to a numbers game? You had mentioned earlier it shouldn't be a numbers game, but well, I mean, ideally the ratio be forty nine percent men and fifty one women because that's the U.S. ratio. The world ratio is slightly. Um, more even because of childbirth and in third world countries where they don't have good medical attention. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that'd be ideal. Uh, but again, it's not a quota. Um, right. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And do you have a message for, you know, the, the man who is in our, you know, I don't know any statistics around this. So perhaps uh, uh, there's a, a single company in industry that's, you know, 80% male and, men are fearful of women coming in and, and taking their jobs and, and that, that kind of um, fear motivated um, prejudice and resistance. And, you know, how, how would you talk to someone like that? Well, that's a, that's a, um, a really good question. Cause that kind of in, encapsulates, encapsulates is all. 
I think a conversation like this one, actually, where there's nothing hidden. Um, and what, what, what they want to know is why, you know, why is it important? Um, and so I think it's, it's more conversations um, where you're not coming at it like you're, you're preaching. Um, and for all the reasons I've given, um, it, makes, it makes sense. It's the right thing to do. I mean, if men would like not to feel less than, or we use the word ashamed, then why wouldn't they do what I'm doing? You know, hmm. yeah, I'm trying to do. I'm not. I believe me. I'm not a not some wonderful human being. I'm just. It's the thing. I'm lucky enough to be passionate about. That's it. Yeah. But yeah, why wouldn't they? Yeah, and I, I would, I, you know, think the the, and I'm I'm really basing it on kind of stereotypes in my own head here, but the the men most resistant to more women coming into their workplace. Um, I don't think they're willing to feel ashamed, right? They're not even aware of that. Then they don't, I mean, this, the, the title of this, uh, the show, Real Men Feel. And, you know, I'm a, I, uh, the people that want to keep, that don't want to change, that want to keep traditional roles are almost, I don't, I don't want to feel the fear I have. I don't want to feel the shame I have. I don't want to feel anything. So just shut up and look pretty. That is very astute. That's very astute. I think one of the six reasons why men don't get involved is because it isn't their top in their top hundred, not because they're bad people, because they have never even thought about it, right? So that's another piece of it. Let's not let's not dig into that one um, because it might raise all kinds of I don't know feelings, concerns. I think another part of it is um, the you know you mentioned real men feel, which is the name of the show, and. Um, it's funny because it implies that most men don't feel, and I'm, I'm not criticizing the name of the show, but uh, I think trying to um, get it out of the headspace into the heart space where you can reach humans, the human inside every man and woman. Uh, I don't want to get too abstract here, but I mean, that's, that's where these conversations have to go. Yeah. What about your daughter? You know, um, what does she do? You know, how did she get into it? Boy, yeah. and then gradually moving into the, the questions we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And I, um, again, in my experience in the world, women are more likely to be operating and communicating from the heart versus the head. Yes, yeah. Exactly. Right. Exactly so often right. that, so often, you know, perhaps that's the big clash or not even a clash. It's just the miscommunication, the why things don't go smoothly, um, until both are willing to, and again, we, we, we have a brain and a heart. We, we, can, we can use them both and even at the same time. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, there's that old Chinese saying that the head can have a conversation with the heart that can result in sudden death, which it's, that's kind of a morbid thing to say, but it is a, you know what I mean, right? You can, if you get stressed up enough, uh, up enough then, I mean, it's your literal heart, it's your physical heart, but, you know, stress is, stress is more heart, actually. So, yeah. They've done a study, and I can't give you the facts because I'm not a medical man, right? But um, it basically relates to neurons, and, you know, men and women are not the same. So back to this meeting I was talking about where you have men and women in a room, and when a man's having a conversation with a woman and you, you put, a, like, a problem out there, um, it, typically men start from – they choose the side of the brain. It's either left side or right side. And then think of the neurons as little tiny flashy things. They pop up like that, and then they go from back to front, and that's the neurons trying to solve. That's what they do, right? And they do this almost the whole time, right? Um, 
and again, it's, this isn't sexist. It's me badly interpreting third hand what a what a psychiatrist told me. Um, the women start neurons all, you know, not picking a side. They're both they're here, and then just this throughout the whole conversation. Mm. And what it, what is actually happening is the men are trying to solve, and the women are contemplating and taking in all angles and so on. So it's fascinating because yeah. that rings yeah. true to both men and women. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I think um, there's an there's a notion and a goal and a speed that I think the the male thinking wants to do. We yes. want to solve and fix and do it quickly, <laughs> exactly right? right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, next, you know, oh, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Um, one, one quick thing to say, if I've got enough time, is um, that there's a piece that I haven't hit on. And it's basically um, uh, the idea that um, it, it's to do with maternity leave and the idea that um, the workplace is designed for men. Um, and I could go into all the parts of it that are, you know, designed for men. But th there's really often no thought about um, women and mothers' rooms and, you know, mm -hmm the embarrassing walk women have to do sometimes from, you know, the restroom where there's water to the mother's room and, uh, you know, with equipment and men don't, men don't know about that. It's not that bad people. We don't know about it or until we learn. Right. Um, so that's part of it. And the other piece of it is um, whatever anybody says, my belief is that actually nature has had it so that with babies and raising infants, the buck stops with a woman. And, um, Again, I'm not sure I'm allowed to say that, but I, I believe it, so I'm being honest. I, I think evolution, thousands of years of it, um, that's where it is. So if that's the case, then when it comes time to have a baby, why would you expect the woman to keep working? I mean, you just wouldn't, you know, in reality. Um, maternity leave. So the next part of this, so why don't women want to get into this business? It's a, it's a hard, tough business. And it's client-based. So if you leave your clients for a long period of time, the chances are quite likely that they'll go and work with somebody else. So we have to adopt not just the way our rules work for maternity leave in our business, but also how our clients think, which is a bigger challenge. Um, and I think if we deal with companies that are like-minded, where the, the men in the leadership positions understand this, then they will be very forgiving of having a service provider where, I'm sorry, She's not here. She's on maternity leave, you know, instead of getting frustrated because they're not getting a text at two in the morning. Um, not that you can't text if you're on maternity leave, but, you know, you should, whatever. Um, so that's that. Um, and the other part of it is that, back to Cheryl Strade, men do pay a price. They do pay a big price in the role we've been put into. Um, and I mean that in this way. Um, that I missed my kids when they were growing up. I'm actually tearing up thinking about them when they were one, two, three, four, five. And then as I get into the teenage years, because I'm in an office, you know, and I've been in an office working 70, 80 hours a week. And yes, women should have exactly that opportunity. I'm just talking about me now as a man. I felt that urge to get home early and, you know, not to hell with the clients, but, you know, come on. Um, I think as much as anybody would. And I think a lot of men feel that way. So I think the idea of paternity leave and so on is going to help on both sides. Um, mm. So uh, I don't know if that thread made much sense, but oh, it's important. Yeah, it is. It is. Hmm. Can, can you just top of mind, can you think of, of, of something that you wish more men knew or were aware of? 
Yeah, I think it's the two ears, one mouth thing. I think it's talking over women. It's unconscious. Mm. For me, it was completely unconscious, interrupting as they're about to say something. And just a little tiny anecdote. I've got the ability to say one thing. Um, so I, I can't remember his name. I'm sorry, but it's a it's a TED Talk individual who's been a strong advocate for um, change. And I'll send you the the, the name and so on. Um, and he's he was on a TED Talk talking about exactly that. You know, helping men help help women in the world. And um, <laughs> he came home one day. This is his TED Talk. And his wife greeted him at the front door. And she said. Um, God, you know, there's, there's something I, I really want to talk to you about. He said, I know what it is. Um, he didn't, but he said, I know what it is. And she said, well, that's exactly what I wanted to talk to you about. <laughs> and so he said, unconsciously, there I was answering her question for her, not listening, trying to solve. Um, and I'm a huge advocate for women. So that's one thing I'd love if more men knew. And I wish I'd learned earlier. <laughs> that's, that's funny. That's good. And uh, hmm, yeah, we'll be sure. So in the uh, in, in the show notes at realmanfield.org, I'll be sure to get all the links to all, all the books and the groups and resources that Alan has mentioned. And w- is there a way that people can get in touch with you if they want to talk to you more, learn more about your company and what you've been up to or anything? Sure, yeah. My, my email is uh, colinette at comcast.net. And uh, the spelling of my name should be on the screen, I think, there. Yeah. So colonet at comcast.net. And I'd love any communication correspondence. I, I just love talking about this issue. And hopefully between us all, us humans, we can help help make the world a better place for women women in the workplace. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so I, I appreciate you coming, stepping up, uh, sharing all this, and again, and sharing some things that even weren't, weren't comfortable to share and you weren't sure... If you, but you know, at, at least here, you know, there's no repercussions. I encourage everyone to, to you know, to to share openly and authentically, and um, and I think that's what, what both sexes, all humans, all ages, you know, need more of. That really comes across. I, I really, I can't tell you what an honor it is to be uh, be on this 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 podcast. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, again, it was is uh, my pleasure to have you and. Again, this subject is important, and we touched on lots of important subjects. So it's a conversation that uh, doesn't certainly doesn't end here. And uh, you know, I encourage men and women in in whatever workplace, whatever your industry is, uh, start talking about this. Or if, if you've started, talk more about this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> awesome, awesome. So again, thank you, Alan, and thanks everyone for listening. And wherever you're discovering Real Men Feel, uh, we'd love to subscribe, give a review, give a share, let someone else know about the show. And until next time, be good to yourself. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Real Men Feel. Reach out to us at realmenfeel at gmail.com. Learn more about Andy Grant at theandygrant.com. Until next time, visit realmenfeel.org or the Real Men Feel Facebook group and share what you thought of this episode. Please give this podcast a review on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you are discovering Real Men Feel.